Good morning to both those in the room and those online. We're glad that you are here. My name's Adam. I recently had the experience of the vaccine. And I have to admit, I'm not very good at needles. And the problem with that, knowing that, is when you admit that to people that do this all the time, they look at you like, oh. So I'm so grateful for the doctors, the nurses, and the scientists that have helped us through this time. I am convinced that more often than not, God uses people to advance what he wants to do, and scientists, doctors, nurses, very much included. So I sat down, because I said to the person, I'm going to need to sit down. They looked at me, are you sure? I said, I am. I know how this works. Pulled up my sleeve, and it happened, and I didn't faint. And for a second, I was like, whoa, check me out. And then I went over dizzy, and the room started to move, and things started to change. And I was like, oh, no, delayed. And uh, one of their colleagues came and spoke to me and kept me in the room and uh, put me in a chair for 15 minutes with a sugary drink, and all was well. Uh, I'm so grateful for doctors, nurses, for people who are patient, for people who have served communities, for people who have had the creativity and the intellect to make some of these vaccines. I'm glad that we are moving in a direction where we're seeing numbers are going down and uh, vaccine availability is increasing. I'm hopeful that we're nearer the end than we are the beginning and it looks like spring is coming, which is good news all round. So, today... I'm going to continue this series, we're looking at Jesus is, and each week it's a slightly different topic, Jesus is something. And today, I want to introduce this subject, and I want to explain it, and then dive in. And the introduction is, Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. Now, for some people, you've heard that kind of terminology before, and it makes sense. For some people, you may not have heard it at all. Or for some people, you may have heard it, and it doesn't necessarily make sense. For some people, sometimes it's guys, it's quite a weird idea, the suggestion that Jesus is the bridegroom, and does that make me the bride? And I don't know how I'd look in a white dress. I don't know if that would work. I want to look at this from a biblical picture, because it's rich in all of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And it's both a teaching that is meant to inform us, so we go, oh, that's interesting. But it's also meant to change us, which is always the case with the stories and the teachings of Jesus. Yes, they inform us and they enrich us and they educate us, but they move us and they change us. There is always some participation and some interaction. We don't observe but we're invited to move with it and to respond with it. And I want to look at it in that idea. So aware that we're talking about something that is marriage, I am aware that marriage isn't for everyone. Biblically and as a church, we believe that marriage is a gift between one man and one woman. And it's sacred. And God created it. And God breathed life in it. It isn't for everyone, but it is a picture and it is a model that we see in Scripture. And that's what we're going to look at today. Before we get to that, I'm going to make it personal in the context of marriage and relationship. And what do we learn? And tell you a number of quick stories with some photos. I met Sarah, and Sarah met me, 20 years ago this year. 
And just for some quick highlights, here are 20 years of selfies. And you can see that the years have been kinder to some than they have others. Number one, 20 years ago, young and fresh. I had hair and it was spiky and cool and I was a youth pastor and that happened. Keep it moving. Next one, please. The day, because there needs to be a day. When we're talking about marriage, there is a day, but that's not the only day. Sometimes it's talked about like it's the most important day. Actually, it's kind of day one. We had this day and it was a special day. It was November the 1st, 2002. Okay, moving on. There we are. Sarah just looks good in all of these, by the way. Keep going. Next one. That was visiting Pennsylvania. It was snowy. I think it was a Christmas trip. Here we are again. Keep moving. Keep moving. Yep. Keep moving. That's London School of Theology. Sunny beach evening. Yeah, keep going. (laughs) This is a few years ago. This is more recent, and this is two or three weeks ago. 20 years. Thank you. Please move the pictures on. This is what, this is what we've learned and what we're learning. There is this moment at the beginning when you meet someone. There is this spark. There is this attraction. There is this connection, which leads to a response where we want to do something about it. That illustration works for that moment where we meet Jesus. Or where, for many of us, we met Jesus. There was a moment, there was a spark, there was an attraction, there was something in us that said, I've got to do something about this. And a relationship begins. There's a wedding day. But it's the beginning. Over those 20 years, we've had some amazing moments. We've had some moments where it feels like our dreams are coming true. And we had blessing after blessing. We've known God's goodness and his presence. We've had two beautiful daughters that were born to us. We had moments where we couldn't doubt God's goodness. And we saw it around us all the time. And it wasn't because of us, but it was just God's blessing to us. And there's been so many high moments during those 20 years. And there's also been some low moments We've had two beautiful daughters, but between them, there was another life that we didn't fully meet. And we suffered bereavements, and we've lost people we didn't expect to lose at moments that we never imagined would have been that moment. It's been times when we've been confused. It's times when we've struggled to like each other, but aware that on November 1st, 2002, we pledged to always love each other. And those happen at the same time and it's all coexisted in the last 20 years it's never been boring it's always been exciting and this is a brief picture of our 20 years so when I consider the idea that Jesus is the bridegroom and we're the bride I don't see it as a wedding day with a white dress even though there needs to be a key day where there is a formation and a commitment and a pledge. But actually, it's the many days after. What does it look like to be married to Jesus? What does it look like to be married to God? Aware that there are some days where it's really easy, because like any relationship, things go well. But there are other days when they don't go well. 
and things don't go to plan. What do we do in that moment? What does a relationship look like in that moment? And that's what I want to look at. I believe that this example, this illustration is a model for life. There is the original attraction and moment and shift and pledge. I want to be with this person. And we make that pledge to Jesus. We invite him into our lives. And it's the beginning. It isn't the end. There is the commitment. Because any relationship, any marriage needs commitment. If there isn't commitment, the first storm that comes along, someone's out of here and we're going in a different direction. There has to be commitment. There is the endurance in tough times. I've known people who had an incredible encounter, a moment of Jesus, which sounds like a wedding ceremony. There was this event, and it was genuine, and it was exciting. But the endurance wasn't there. And over the years, they've fallen away. And that happens too. So we're talking about love. And we're talking about choices because love is a choice. And Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. He wants to be wedded to us in the good times, in the bad times. And it's a two-way partnership of which Jesus has done his bit. There's nothing more that he needs to do. But where do we interact with this story? What does endurance look like in your life? It's easy on some days, but what about other days? That's what I want to explore today. What does it look like for us, for you, for me to be the bride of Jesus? The bride is the church. And it's all of us. The best bits, the worst bits, the pretty bits, the ugly bits. What does it look like? I want to sketch this from a biblical perspective first. We're going to go through some Old Testament passages where we're going to expand this theme more then New Testament, and then us. So that's the journey we're going on. The verse is going to appear on the screen behind me, in front of me, and on your screens if you're watching online, so you can look at these. The first one that we see is this Old Testament picture, and it's in the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 33, says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I have been a husband to them, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. To explain this passage, the people of Israel were the people of God. These are the people that God said, I want to be in relationship with you. And to quote God from this passage, I will be your husband and you will be my wife and we will be wedded, married together. The word covenant means an agreement. There was an agreement that was made. There was a pledge that was made. There were vows that were made. And whenever there was a covenant, there was a meal. There was a ceremony. It sounds like a wedding day where there is a commitment that is being made, a pledge that's, pledge that's being made by both parties, and it's happening around a meal, always around a meal. And God is the husband to the people that he loves, and he's married them, and it's us. This is what we see in the Old Testament. Next passage, 
Building on this theme, Isaiah 54 verse 5 says this. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. It was always God's plan to be in such a close relationship with his people that it would look like we're married, we're pledged, we're committed. We love each other. That was always the plan. That was always the hope. I said that there's two pledges, there's two vows being made. God is making the vow in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. We make it. Here's a passage that we don't often read in church. Ezekiel 16, verse 32. You adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. All prostitutes receive gifts, but you, gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from everywhere for your illicit favors. Here's a passage we don't often read in church. This is the brokenness, the story that we see in all of humanity as explained in this Old Testament passage. We have not been faithful to a God that loves us, to a God who makes a commitment and a covenant with us. We've been adulterous, which means we've cheated on God all over the place in so many different directions. We've been allured by wealth and money and lust and all other things. And there isn't any of us that haven't missed the mark by some distance. And it breaks God's heart. But that isn't the end of the Old Testament story. That isn't the end of this picture, this covenant, this marriage that was always God's plan. New Testament. John's Gospel. We read this. This is John the Baptist. They came, they being the followers that were listening to John the Baptist's teaching, and they said this to him. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, this is Jesus, who was said with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing everyone. He is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. They're like, what's going on here? What's happening here? It's always a great question. Jesus said this, a person can receive only what is giving them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. Let me explain this. This prophet, this person who heard from God, who baptized people, declared himself as preparing the way. John the Baptist said, God is going to step in and going to do what only he can do. The one that we've been waiting for is coming. And he is the voice of the one preparing the way. And in this moment, John says, that moment is now and is complete. 
John is this person who pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God, the one we've been waiting for. And in this passage, he describes himself as the friend of the bridegroom. Let me give you some context. At a Jewish wedding, the bridegroom was attended by his friends with one friend who we would see as the best man. That's the terminology that we know who was a special person. He had a special duty in a role. And his term, the title that he had, was the friend of the bridegroom. The bride also has friends. And the evening before the wedding, the two parties would gather. The friend of the bridegroom would go and gather the bridegroom and his friends. And the friend of the friends of the bride would go and gather their friends. And we hear in the Bible, we hear the stories of the joy when they would hear the knock on the door and the voice of the special friend who has come because the moment is about to begin. And John is putting himself in that story and say, that's what's happening now. He is the friend of the bridegroom and he has great delight in being the voice that recognizes that, that knocks the door. Jesus told stories of being ready and that some friends aren't ready told a story of the female friends who haven't kept their, their lamps burning. They weren't ready. They missed the moment. And in this moment, these scriptures are coming together and being fulfilled. And John is saying, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. And it's good news. Later New Testament writers wrote, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. In this moment, these people that, like us, had been adulterous were being invited back. And it's a new covenant, and it's a new relationship, and Jesus is the one who's making it possible. Let me show you these two New Testament passages where Jesus is explaining this more. first one, Matthew 9. Jesus spoke to them in parables. Let it go. Matthew 9. We not got it? All right, let me read it to you. Matthew 9, 14 to 15 says this. John's disciples came and said, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and they will fast. The moment of waiting and praying and fasting, Jesus, God, will you come, will you appear? In this moment, that prayer has been answered. But Jesus is saying there's going to come a time ahead. And he's pointed to the cross. He's like, we're going to fast again because we're going to be praying. Come back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. As the book of Revelation says, Jesus is saying, again, it's him. It's the bridegroom. Matthew 22. This is an important passage. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. You can see the 
how this is coming together here. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. Because remember, a covenant's always taking place around a meal. My oxen, my fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. I love the way Jesus would tell a mysterious story that's actually bringing together so much. He's saying in this moment, the fulfillment of all these covenants and marriage pictures that haven't worked out, he's saying it's going to be worked out. And God is laying the table because all covenants happen around a table. And there's a feast and there's a celebration because this is good news, not bad news. And Jesus is the, the bridegroom and we are the bride and everyone gets an invite. And there were some people that thought that they should get a special invite. And some of those people, they missed it. And there's other people that were far from it. And they're the people that get the invite. They're the people that are invited into this relationship, this banquet. It's good news. So what does it mean for you and me? And what does it mean in March 2021? How do we respond? How do we live in this? Aware that it's not just a response once, a wedding day, but it's a much longer journey. What does it look like? So let me ask this question, and I could ask for answers, and I won't. I'm going to predict the answers. But the question I was going to ask is, what does every bridegroom and every bride want. I will pause for a moment. What does every bridegroom and every bride want? I think, I think love. Yeah. Love. Because we age, some of us lose hair. Uh, some good things happen. Some bad things happen. And we carry the scars and the successes. But ultimately what we want is we want love. I think God wants the same. God wants the same from us. He doesn't want us just to say, I believe in him. I believe in Jesus. I prayed this prayer once. That's like saying, well, there's a wedding ignored every day ever since. That's a crazy idea. No relationship would last. It doesn't matter how special that one day, that one moment was. No relationship will last if there isn't the consistency of love. God wants love. Remove love and it's empty. So how should we respond and what does it look like? Or maybe I should ask this. As the bride of Christ, what's your part look like? Jesus has done enough. 
Jesus has done it all. But what about you? What do you need to do? I think for me, when I consider that in the context of marriage, I need to be faithful. I'm answering the question that I'm asking you. I need to be devoted. I need to be consistent. Not just on some days, but all the time. Because any bride or bridegroom deserves that. So it's about love. It's not about romance so much. It's about love. We are the bride of Christ, and that's exciting. That was always the plan. That was always God's heart. We've strayed. Our testament calls us adulterous, and at times that's accurate. But that isn't the end of the story. Jesus is the perfect bridegroom, the one that we've been waiting for, the one that John the Baptist prepared the way for. And the table is laid for the best covenant ever. And God lays the table and makes the invite for us all. So my hope and my prayer for us is that we as a church will live like a devoted bride to Jesus. That we will be consistent. That we won't be hit and miss and hot and cold but that we would be faithful, like a relationship that may have lasted 20 years or many more, we will be consistent in our love in the good days and in the tragic days because they both come our way. And as a church, we will be mature in our relationship. Yes, we'll have the high moments in the early days where it was easy to love and the sparkle was there, but that we will be mature and consistent, aware that that isn't meant to fade, it's meant to mature and improve. That's what a good covenant marriage relationship looks like. So my question, I guess, isn't do you believe in Jesus or do you believe this message My question is, do you love Jesus? Not did you have a wedding day moment, or do you love Jesus some days, but do you love Jesus always? His commitment to you cost him everything. There's nothing more he needs to do. He's done it all. But do you love him? Do you really love him? For some, we once did. I'm going to invite the musicians to come up. There's two passages that I want to read as a challenge, as an illustration to kind of bring this together. And at this point, it's going to get personal. And I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but I want it to be personal because it's a beautiful covenant relationship and it is personal. This passage won't appear on the screen. But In the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, Revelation 2, we read this. And it's written to a church that could be written to any church. A church is a group of people that identify as believing in Jesus and following Jesus. And we're a group of people that makes us a church. We read this. I know your deeds, your hard work. 
your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. Which is like saying, you've done all the right stuff. But I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you believe in Jesus but don't love Jesus, that's not enough. This is a marriage. This is a commitment. This is a covenant. If you used to love Jesus, but you like this passage, you've fallen, it's faded. The passage gives you the answer, repent, which means not just to say sorry, but it means to turn around, to shift your posture. Yes, there is this verbal acknowledgement of I need to say sorry, but there is an intentional shift of posture. I'm turning around. If for you that passage is hard to hear because it's accurate of your lifestyle, you used to love and you don't love as much as you do as you once did repent now and turn around and my last passage this gets really personal Peter the disciple of Jesus passionate, outspoken enthusiastic, energetic and he missed the mark and he missed the mark and there's this beautiful moment where Jesus reappears to him and I imagine that Jesus would love to do this for you or for me. And he reappears to them and he restores him. And this is what he says. This is what it looks like to be restored, to be remarried, I guess. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said this, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. We and I'll own this as me, like Peter, think about what we can do for, for Jesus or what we have done. None of that's that important. What's important is the question that Jesus asks. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's, that's the only question that really matters in a marriage, in a relationship, and in genuine faith. That's the only question that matters. Not what you've done or how long you've done it, how much you've attended, how much you've given. That doesn't matter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That's what it looks like to be the bride passionately in love with the bridegroom. 
That's the invitation. That's the banquet. That's the table. And my hope and my prayer for us is that that will be our response. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. These covenants were always made around a meal. And if you turn the pages of that John's passage a few pages earlier, you read of this meal, which was a sacred meal where Jesus' followers were sat around a table. Jesus lays the table. He breaks bread, pours wine, offers it to them and says, this is the new covenant. This is the new arrangement. This is the new marriage service. This is the new ceremony. And we do it once in this moment, but we do it many times in remembrance of this moment. Because it is about this moment, but it's about the days after. So in your homes, if you've got some bread, some wine or some juice, whatever you use, we're going to respond to the new covenant that's around a meal that symbolizing with these cups of juice and wafers. So stewards are going to hand these out. The steward that hands them to you uh, will put it in your hands so there's not loads of hands going the same one. And we're going to pause for a moment. When you've received it, can you stand up? And before we sing, I want you to... I want you to consider the question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love me? Sometimes we think it's enough just to believe in him. No marriage would work if you said, oh, I believe my wife exists. So what? What are you doing about that? This is the same. Jesus isn't asking you, do you love me? Will you attend church? Will you give money? Those things help. It's not the most important thing. So when you've received this, why don't you stand up and I want you to consider the question. I want you to imagine Jesus like that Peter experience on the beach. Just you and him. And like the night around the table of the Last Supper when he offered the bread and the wine to the disciples. He said, I want to give you this. Take this. Do this in remembrance of me. But the question is, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? When you're ready to answer that with a yes, then enjoy the gift that's in you, that's represented in your hands today. So we, we say, Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. If I have to do this, if you've never loved Jesus, if you've never had that moment, that wedding day moment, that moment where for the first time you say, I want to be in a lifelong relationship with you. 
to simply pray, Lord, I'm sorry for the times when I've messed up, when I've sinned, when I've chased after other things, tried to fill the hole, the emptiness inside me with other things. Lord, I want to invite you in. Like a wedding service, a ceremony, I want to make a vow to commit to loving you and to following you. Lord, come in. Change me. Amen. If that's a new or a first experience for you, I want to hear. I want to celebrate with you. I want to encourage you. If you're in the room, talk to me before you leave. If you're online and you want to meet Jesus for the first time, write Jesus on the comments on the social media page and we'll follow up with you. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me?